This Major Spoilers podcast is brought to you by Veruca Salt. Dreaming of a world where the snozberries really taste like snozberries. The Major Spoilers podcast is sponsored in part by the Mid-Ohio Con, October 3rd and 4th in Columbus, Ohio. For more information, visit midohiocon.com. The show is also sponsored in part by Past Generation Toys. Past Generation Toys has a large selection of Star Wars, G.I. Joe, and Marvel toys. Visit them on the web at pastgenerationtoys.com. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm the world-famous Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm some guy named Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the Lost King doth decree a return of chattel. El hombre enmascarado legendario lleva las llanos una vez más. And final proof that a wetsuit isn't actually bulletproof. Plus, get your cape back from the cleaners and we'll make you internet famous. And strangulations, bullets to the head, old ladies exploding? That must be Garth Ennis. In addition, felt frogs in green tights. Also, let's say this Twinkie represents the normal amount of psychokinetic area in the New York area. Based on this morning's reading, we're looking at a Twinkie some 35 feet long, weighing approximately 600 pounds. Stephen the Schleicherian, good evening. As a duly designated representative of the city, county, and state of confusion, I order you to cease any and all supernatural activity and return forthwith to your place of origin or the nearest convenient parallel convention so that I can continue my podcast. I'm sure you'll find a promising career in either the food service or housekeeping industries. Right now, though, the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers podcast. And we've got a lot on the plate this week. We've got Preacher Volume 2 until the end of the world coming up a little bit later in the show. We've also got our normal round of discussions about all things polary. And Rodrigo, mm-hmm. when someone asks if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> First off, let's uh, speak about gods. Jack Kirby. Some people consider him a god. A new gods, if you will. There you go. It's pretty old. That's how you do a, a now. Jack segue Kirby item. died quite a while ago. Ninety six, I think, is what it was. Nineteen ninety four. Ninety five, somewhere around there. <laughs> we'll compromise. Uh, we'll call it, it October of ninety five. <laughs> we can call it whatever you want, but it will in fact be nineteen ninety four. You know, everyone thought this Marvel-Disney deal was probably a pretty good thing. You know, Disney's getting this uh, big collection of of, uh, properties, the Hulk, Fantastic Four, Captain America, mm, to a lesser extent Spider-Man, although Sony owns the rights to that indefinitely. That is until this past week. Great Lakes Avengers. When the Kirby heirs sent a little notice to Marvel, Disney, Universal, Paramount, whoever has done ever done a Marvel and the character note went movie. Something like this. Dear fuckers, give us back our stuff. Love Otter. <laughs> Pretty close to that, except I think it was signed by the uh, Kirby heirs, the Kirby mm-hmm. estate. Actually, I think it was signed by, um, uh, what's his name? Toboroff or whoever that uh, manages. What's Greg his name? Thibodeau, yeah, Tibber- Toboroff, that's his name. He is the same lawyer that represents the Seagulls in their lawsuit against Warner Brothers. He's oh. also the same lawyer hmm. that got uh, Warner Brothers to fork over tons of money for that uh, Dukes of Hazard 
movie that came out a few hmm. years ago. The Kirby heirs say they're pulling back the copyright. They want the copyrights back to all of Jack Kirby's creations. And, um, well, we're kind of looking, depending on how you look at it, we're going to look at a battle probably even greater than the battle over Superman and who owns the rights to Superman right now. What I want to know is, did they just serve Marvel? Or did they not also serve DC and the other companies well, it that are benefiting goes like from this. Jack's characters? It kind of goes like this. Um, they probably... When did Jack Kirby move to DC? When did he go work for them? Roughly 69 or 70, I think. Because okay. he was working on Fantastic Four for like 100 issues. He left Marvel and the New Gods started around 1970. Okay, so if I remember copyright law, it's 35 years... Is that right? No, long. It's got to be longer than that. Um, it's like seventy years. Something like I forget what what the exact number is, but the copyright is set to revert back to, um, especially Fantastic Four in twenty seventeen. Something like that is when that copyright reverts. So that would be forty six years from nineteen sixty one. Depending so on probably which version, 40, it would probably be forty five years or so. Then this is the problem that everyone's going to have a problem with: is which copyright law are they using? Because copyright law has changed dramatically uh-huh. over time. I mean, some people are arguing even that Steamboat Willie uh, and Mickey Mouse are in public domain, even though Disney has continually convinced Congress to change copyright law to their favor. So essentially what happens is there's this window of opportunity where the copyright owners or their estate can pull back the copyright and keep it for themselves. Now, in the case of uh, the the Siegel and Schuster Superman case against Warner Brothers, they actually created Superman and then went shopping it around. So therefore, that was their Mm -hmm. work that they created. And then they just, you know, uh, DC at that time bought it uh, to, to print. In the case of Marvel, the question becomes, Jack Kirby was already working for Marvel. That's right. In a freelance basis. This is where it gets a little bit more complicated. Hmm. But because Jack Kirby was working for Marvel, was his work a work for hire or was it part of his normal everyday duties? In which case, he may not own the rights to those characters that he helped create. Right. There's the whole issue of if you're a freelancer, is it your stuff? Or if it was a work for hire, it's Marvel stuff. That's one issue that has to be addressed. Uh, right. The other issue is how much of it did he create uh, his himself? Mm-hmm. You know, right. there's a big thing with, um, you know, Stan Lee. He gets like a six-figure annual stipend from Marvel. And to some, keep his mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And in, in exchange, he turned over all of his creator-owned rights to Marvel. Mm-hmm. Doesn't right. sound like a bad deal. In Kirby's no. case, from the accounts that I've read, he wasn't a really good businessman. Mm-hmm. And so he probably signed a dummy contract. And the reason why it's called a dummy contract is because only dummies sign the original contract that's presented to them. Mm-hmm. In which case, if it said, hey, everything you create is now owned outright by... What was it before it became Marvel? Uh, Timely timely Comics? Proto-Marvel? Well, yes and no. See, Martin Goodman used to change the name of the company and reincorporate uh, relatively often, I thought, which is why it went from Timely to Red Circle to Marvel back to Red Circle to something else. We'll just call it Marvel in this case. Um, And so there is going to be a big big fight over... What this, who owns what, who created what. I mean, it was odd that the uh, the Kirby estate 
sent notice to Sony saying that they were pulling back the copyright on Spider-Man when Spider-Man wasn't created by Jack Kirby, although, you know, everyone says Steve Ditko and Stan Lee, although Kirby drew the cover for Amazing Fantasy number 15. Uh But there is some kind of, and you would think with Kirby as big a guy as he is and Stan Lee, this would have come out before then, um, that there were preliminary sketches and designs that Kirby worked up to present as Spider-Man that Stanley didn't like, and so then Ditko came in and, and changed some things around, if I remember everything correctly. But that is something that I have heard before. Actually, that is a, a there are some sketches that are purported to be Jack Kirby, you know, right, generating the character, right. You, so it's just totally confusing as to what's going to happen in this lawsuit. But you know, the the rights don't expire until 2017 for Fantastic Four, and then I think right. it's. The Hulk the next year, Avengers the next year, the X-Men the year after that, something like that. It's like they just kind of tripwire. But the thing is in this, you have to give five years notice, at least five years notice that you're going to pull back that copyright before they expire. Right. Uh, In the case of the Siegel-Schuster-Warner Brothers thing, and we're just going to call it the Siegel-Warner Brothers thing because Schuster pretty much took their their cash uh, money and walked. Um, They did that in 1999. And still 10 years later, that case has not been fully resolved. Mm-hmm. Right. So if people are worried that, oh, my gosh, the Kirby's are going to kill all these creators or all these characters, I don't think that's the case. No. I do have a bigger issue of of this whole case, though, but I want to hear what your guys' reaction to this news is. Um, What I want to know is, does a judge who is sitting there listening to or a jury, I, don't, I mean, this is all judge, this is all judge, judge. straight up stuff. Um. As he's sitting there listening, can 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 the can the judge be like, "This is clearly because of this Marvel merger, or because of Disney acquiring Marvel and all this new money flowing through, and they just want a piece of the action." Like I, this is this is what it screams like to me. That's what it screams like to me too. That's my yeah. concern: is that they're only doing this because it, they smell money. Well, it Matthew? feels like a hail mary. It feels like. Well, you know, these people were able to successfully negotiate this and there was, you know, a dollar figure involved. Again, I do not by any means blame anybody, uh, Jack Kirby's widow, his children, whomever, for attempting to try and get some money out of the essentially corrupt work for hire system. Well, and I say and essentially because yeah. there was a time when it was absolutely horribly corrupt right and marvel has been working and dc as well working to try and you know improve the creator right situation to improve benefits but i mean jack created all of these concepts or co-created all these concepts put you know heart and soul into the fantastic four and the x-men and these characters and when his working relationship with marvel soured he went across town to the rival publisher and pretty much had a, the same or a similar deal, right? So I mean, it was it wasn't even like you know he could he could step away from it and say, well, I'm taking my characters with me. When things are done in that work for hire system, which again, you know, this is fifty forty five fifty years later, we look at that and we go, how could that be? How could this possibly be? Elements of it are still active. So I think it feels like somebody saw, well, this worked successfully. Somebody got some money out of this, and I think this is time that we try and get, whether it be money, whether it be vindication for, Mm -hmm. you know, their late dad, whether it be a situation where somebody just, you know, wants to have Marvel say, hey, you know, Jack is important, Jack did this, Jack whatever. Right. 
I know. But yeah, I, I agree. It feels a little, it feels like there is mercenary intent behind part of it. Well, especially with this lawyer guy involved that already has a track record of, hey, look how great I was in getting these other things down. I mean, where's Bob Kane's estate? Well, where is, you know, where are all these people? Where are they? Why aren't they knocking on the door? And Hello, of, we and, want our money. And of course, I want to demonize the lawyer, but. Why not? Well, no, that's what I'm saying is what what it sounds like to me is Kirby's is like the, the, the Kirby estate might not even have had the original idea. Right. It might have been him be like, well, I've been pretty successful. Now, with- in uh, in Jack uh, Kirby's, I guess, getting onto his side for the moment, you know, he in this work for hire system. And again, these laws have changed a lot in 40 years. Uh-huh. OK. Uh, and they favor more the creator now, like Matthew said. But Kirby. You know, there was a an issue of him getting back his original art that he drew. And especially later in his life, I forget, it was like 80s, late 80s, early 90s, before his death, he was really trying to fight to get back at Marvel saying, hey, I want my original pages back. And they were like, oh, no, you didn't use your own paper. Uh, therefore, it belongs. It's the property of Marvel and all these different kinds of things. And I can understand mm-hmm. from one point the business side of it saying, hey, you created something. It's it's ours now and you sign the contract so yep. therefore it's your problem i guess that's the problem that i have with the seagulls and the schusters is they were paid off many times yeah. and yet they keep coming back and trying to sue again i well, don't think that's the case that's going to be with the with the kirby well, system but it just kind of feels like you know you signed a contract and if you're a bad businessman that's your fault for for, for and, signing that bad contract and Look, why now why now well and i think it, this it's because has been, the copyright is coming up that's the uh, main thing. yeah i guess so the the thing about Siegel and Schuster that I think is a little bit more uh, difficult, you have to look at this just in terms of raw numbers. I think they said that uh, Joe and Jerry were paid 200 bucks for the rights to the character Superman. Mm-hmm. By 1940, DC had made in $1939 more than a million bucks off the character already. Right. right. Superman was a huge Huge well, success, and they gave these kids from Cleveland two hundred bucks, and sent them on their way. Again, now I can I can definitely look at that, and I can say, well, yeah, maybe it was bad businessmen, but there's also the question of is there not a responsibility on the part of the company, especially a company which was op- not operating in good faith in the best interests of the people, and just you know, kind of going, here's your two hundred bucks, get out. So I don't know that that's 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 not the same degree of what we're looking at with Kirby. And right. I think that I, I, I don't know if Roz Kirby is still alive. I don't know if Roz Kirby, you know, I don't know anything about her financial situation, but I can tell you that if let's say my wife created something and her employer benefited from it greatly and we got the equivalent, you know, of, 20 grand a year with no benefits, you know, no health insurance, no nothing. And then when she started, you know, asking, hey, how do I get some benefits out of what I've created? They kicked her in the butt and, you know, forced her into a long and involved, you know, law case, something legally thingy. And we all had to go to court and all of this crap. I'd be highly pissed. So, you know, we can't. Well, let me we can't this- necessarily discount the fact that someone in that family may be highly pissed and. Right. Justifiably highly pissed. Well, but again, let, let's just put this in a more major spoilers type environment. And this is a no. big hypothetical what if, because I don't think it would ever happen. But let's say that uh, we get all the money in the world so that I can quit 
we can quit our jobs and do this full time. And I go up to Matthew and I say, Matthew, you have a choice. I can either pay you X salary with benefits and life insurance, or I could pay you a dollar per word, no, no cap, but you don't, you have to take care of your own benefits and you don't get any of that life insurance stuff or anything. No 401k, any of that. But uh-huh. regardless which one you choose, anything you write belongs to major spoilers. That right. would be a simple boilerplate. You know, some of the stuff you might write might be really great. Some of it may not be so great, but we're going to pay you this amount of money regardless. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's just say you go with the 40,000 plus benefits and life insurance and all of this other stuff. And right. you crank out for a couple of years your average stuff that you've been cranking out these last couple of years. Hey. Which is, and, he's saying average hey. for you. Your stuff is way above average, Matthew, is, <laughs> is what he's getting at. And then, and then a few years down the road, you're still under the same contract. You're still getting paid the either dollar per word or, or flat rate or whatever. And all of a sudden, you crank out this brilliant piece that's a Pulitzer Prize winning piece of work. And because you published it through us, because we paid you for it, that piece is owned by major spoilers. Now, you want to sell it to somebody who wants to turn it into a book. And we say, no, you can't. I'm sorry. That, that's our property. And I'm sorry that you feel bad that you can't make an additional million dollars off this book deal to reprint this article. But you signed a contract that said XYZ, everything belongs to us. Quit your whining. Now, me as the evil corporate person, people might go, well, that's not totally fair. But is it? I mean, if I, I who knows in 1969 or whatever year it was that the that the uh, Fantastic Four appeared. 61. Who knew that they were going to be a success? It's, maybe they said, well, we're going to give you $200 and maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll flop. But you got your $200. We own that character in the future. I think it's completely fair. And it's something that people don't really think about. It's like. Even the Schusters, you know, they got $200 and, you know, they bought them a soda cola at the corner store. <laughs> That's probably all the money that DC had to shell out at the time. Could have been. Like, that they that they had available to Could have them been. at the time. Could have been. So, they didn't know that this was going to be so great. I mean, who wants to read about a guy in tights? Let's take a risk on it, right? right. Now, certainly some of these things that we're giving are in light of us not fully understanding copyright law because I'm sure in certain cases, you know, now the, the contracts would state, Hey, you get to keep, you know, as for the, for the artist, they get to keep their art and those kinds of things that they can go out and resell it at these conventions and all of that good stuff. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, that's a great plus and and times have sure changed. But the problem is, and the point that I'm getting at is there, the companies are looking out for themselves. They're not looking out for creators, whether that be a podcaster, whether that be an author, whether that be a recording artist, whether that be a comic book artist, mm-hmm. okay? They're looking out for themselves in their bottom line. So they're going to generate a contract, a, a template contract. It's the same little right off the press, just printed out contract that they f- give everybody. Yep. It's called a dummy contract because only dummies sign that contract. And You've when said you read that already. Those, I know. Oh, please. Have we started kicking people for stuff that they've repeated over and over again? <laughs> but, the, but the point is, it, the contract is there to benefit the company. And if you just sign it without really reading it or mm-hmm. taking it to your lawyer or demanding changes to be made in the contract, that's a binding contract. That's what I'd do. It's just I would just See, demand changes without well, yeah, really this, reading it. Should. I want this, this to is... be in green ink. See, this breaks down to the question between... 
moral obligation and a legal obligation. I feel that more than likely, D.C. to the Seagulls did not necessarily have a full legal obligation. Right. With the exception, of course, of the thing, you know, the Superboy portion of it that was verifiably created outside of DC's work for higher contract. Right. And I think, you know, in this case, again, there may be some mercenary intent, but there may also be, you know, something as simple as give credit where credit is due. I mean, mm -hmm. every Marvel comic starts with the word Stanley presents. Right. Even though Stanley may not have had anything to do with the creation of, oh, I don't know, let's say we have a, an issue that features Maggot. And Sunspot and the Mimic. Okay, Stan Lee had in, input on one of those characters, but it's still a Stan Lee Presents. Right. But if you look at it, you know... And you know why it says Stan I, Lee Presents? Because Stan Lee knows how to read a contract and knows how to say <laughs> these only to say Stan Lee Presents on them. And they said, okay, but this sure. But this is the thing. I mean, if we just say, well, it's your own fault, you didn't read your contract. And trust me, I have this conversation in some form or another at okay, work I'm virtually sure you every do. single day. I'm sure you do. You know, people are like, I I'm going to sue you. Well, unfortunately, sir, not only did you sign this contract, you signed a contract that has a binding arbitration clause that means that you can't sue us either. Yep. yep. But mm -hmm. here's, uh, you know, there, the question then comes down to just as with, I don't know if you read about the lawsuits recently, the state of California yeah. and the early termination fees provided yep. by cellular telephone companies. Yep. This is a well-established legal precedent. And the state of California went, nope. Every single company has early termination fees, and the state of California went, nope. Yep. So legal obligation and moral obligation, not necessarily the same thing, and legal realities can change. So there's no reason why. Oh, I'm not saying they can't. Well, I'm just saying there's no reason why Jack Kirby's family, Jack Kirby's estate, should be barred from attempting to, you know, even if all they're doing is cashing in, all they want is money. Well... What is wrong with that? Because here's the fact, Stephen. You know, we would sign that contract and we'd come to the point and, you know, it, it may come to a point where I would sue the bejesus out of you. I'm not I'm not actually going to do it. Yeah, because I, I don't know. got no bejesus in me anymore. That's I right. know you don't. It's but, trying to crawl out his eyeballs. <laughs> that explains a lot. <laughs> you look like Judge Doom in the last frame of Roger Rabbit. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think, you know, it, it really does come down to the question of, what we're seeing, and what I think a lot of people are going to boil it down to, is Jack Kirby is a beloved creator. Jack Kirby is a guy that we all feel like we know. Jack was that that affable guy who'd put a pencil down and it'd catch fire with all the ideas just bursting out of it. And Marvel Comics, as owned by the Disney Corporation, is an evil, faceless thing that, you know, even if there's no... If there's nothing that Marvel did that is wrong, if right. there's absolutely nothing that's illegal or immoral or out of the question, people are still going to look at it and go, the evil corporate yeah. entity is holding down mm. this poor man, and then he died, and his family is living in poverty in the back of a van down by the river. But see, I don't know, though, that, um, you know, there's a, I, I don't know what Jack Kirby created once he left the big two, uh, Destroyer uh, Duck or something, and... He did Destroyer Duck. He did uh, Captain Future, I think. Characters Captain that are not, you know, well-loved and beloved, you the know, well-known. He did the Teen Agents. The thing that I have he a did, problem uh, with Catapult. Is, is that I was in this kind of a situation, kind of similar to what I had described before. You work for us. We pay you this money. 
you deliver us stuff. It's our stuff. You can't do anything with it afterwards. And I had a real problem with that. And so finally I said, fine, I'm walking away. I'm not going to work for you anymore. Mm-hmm. And Is that when they sent four other assassins after you? <laughs> and I took them all down one <laughs> by one. It's a fascinating story. We'll have to talk about it another idiots. time. Um, but the thing is, what I did, and, and one of the reasons why I started Major Spoilers, is because I wanted to do something that's creator-owned, something mm-hmm. that I create, that I own, that I can decide what happens with. This is the same thing that happened with Image Comics. All these guys got really tired of their situations with their respective companies and said, hey, let's start out on our own and let's do our own stuff. And I think yeah, so we can Eric Larson. Do... I'm Eric Larson. So we can do this to other people. Well, Eric Larson had a great tweet the other day. Uh, I don't have it up here in front of me. Uh, but I, you know, he responded, why are people jumping all over the Kirby's about this? You know, it, it's bad that, you know, that you've got creator-owned stuff that people can't get, get back on. And that's mm-hmm. really what the whole point of Image was. I invited him on the show. He didn't uh, He didn't get back to me. He may have been ignoring my tweets, as people often do. <laughs> I know. I as do. people Look often at me. do. I'm Eric Larson. <laughs> I'm too big to come on the Major Spoilers podcast. I think, wasn't he on I'm going to draw though? me some Savage Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, yeah. Chris. So, Eric, I but see, I really wanted popsicles. I really wanted Eric to come on the show to give his standpoint on creator own on creator yeah. own works, and he's more than welcome to come on. I, I welcome him to come to the show, and let's talk about creator owned works versus versus uh, companies. And I think that would I think that'd be a fascinating conversation in light of this. But right now, we don't know what's going on. Even Marvel themselves, I think, were taken a little aback uh, because the only thing that they could do as a comeback is saying, "Well, we received the information." And we're looking into it. So it's almost like they were slapped with this. Here's their direct quote. Marvel received the termination notices and is reviewing the information, has no additional comment at this time, which makes it sound like maybe they were taken by surprise by this. Oh, yeah. Well, I think you may be reading into that, too. I mean, that sounds to me like Well, it sounds like corporate speak. Standard managerese. That's what I would say. If somebody comes to me at work and says, well, we heard there's going to be a shift bid and we're all going to have to change our shifts. Well, unfortunately, at this time, I don't have any information regarding that. I'll be happy to look into it, um, but no, I cannot res- assist you at this that's, time. That's the difference between Matthews and I's managerial style, because mine would be, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. We're all going to die. Run, run, run for your lives now. <laughs> oh, wait, That's what? why Major Spoilers <laughs> is not Steven's website. It's our website. Uh, owned, and, owned and operated by Steven Schleicher. Um, <laughs> you know, we Steven don't know Schleicher what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to we don't know what's going to happen, but uh, certainly this is going to be a story that continues to – that's going to continue to be fascinating for the months and, and weeks ahead, years ahead. You can continue to follow this story over at Majorspoilers.com. I think we've spent probably I highly recommend time. picking a side and sticking to it with the zeal of a psychopath. Scream. No. Scream. No. You're wrong. Just go nuts. We uh, – It'll be like a, you know, that thing that people do during Plan 9. It may be five, ten years before we get another one. Wicker, (laughs) Rattan, Kirby's, Marvel, (laughs) Kirby's, Marvel. (laughs) Great taste. (laughs) Less filling. filling. Thanks, Steven. That was a full seven seconds late. I was trying to swallow. Why don't you pick Uh, your cues up out of the cellophane before they scorch? Okay, just a really quick announcement. Don't forget, we have the Major Spoilers Costume Contest going on right now. The 2009, it's our third annual Major Spoilers Costume Contest. Has it been three years? I know, three years since the first one we started. We want you to help us celebrate the upcoming Halloween holiday by having you 
Yes, you sitting at home listening to this show. Yes, you driving in your car. Yes, you, the cute girl, riding your bike down the street and ringing that little bell with the streamers flying behind. We want you to send your send us a picture of yourself dressed up as your favorite comic book hero or villain or sidekick or whatever. You get the idea. Mm-hmm. Best costume will not only be hailed as the grand prize winner, you'll also... Hail the grand poobah! Destroy even the toughest stains! You'll also win your choice of, get this, a superhero wall graphic that we're going to purchase for you wow. from fathead.com. And these are pretty spiffy. Yeah, We've got are. several of these around the major spoilers corporate headquarters. Do they have a block? They don't have a block. They have, like, we've got Wolverine, Superman, the Batman, the Hulk, the Thing. Batman. Iron Man is a new one. Spider-Man. They have... no, oh, they, can I get they, a 3D man? They don't have all of those, but we're going to give you some Matthew. of Matthew. Let me give you your choice if you win. All you have to do, those guys. All you have to do is send us three to four pictures, different poses, different angles of yourself in your favorite superhero costume, plus one of yourself out of the costume. And by that, I don't mean naked. Yes, preferably close. Yeah, you got to get that to us by October twenty fifth. Make sure you include your name, address, character you're supposed to be. Send it to the major spoilers crew. We'll narrow it down to five contestants, and then we're going to let everyone else decide who's the best. And, of the best. And here's the thing, though. Right now, you guys might be freaking out, but, you know, our our, our cosplayer, our local co- cosplayer, isn't eligible because she's part right. of Major Spoilers. Yeah. So right. no competition from her. Competition's right. still going to be stiff. It is. Right. And <laughs> yeah. I, I still think that the three of us and Victoria and Sam and whomever still works for Major Spoilers should, though we cannot compete, we should vicariously send a picture of ourselves in costume. Oh, so you that know what? we can participate. Okay, I just got the greatest thing. You know what we should do? I'm going to go as the blob. We should go as the Adams family. I'm sure because <laughs> Steven's got kind of an Uncle Fester, Uncle Fester thing, thing, going. thing going. I can just get all these wigs and tape them to myself. <laughs> we can just, you know, if if uh, if, if know, Scroll Brian doesn't want to be, Victoria oh, could he... do a killer, killer. What's her face? Morticia. Morticia. Yeah. yeah. Scroll Brian. We dress him up as Gomez. And we use, we use Sam's hand for thing. There you go. That would be <laughs> that would pretty be awesome. All right, That's everybody. That's going to leave me as Pugsley, isn't it? Yes, yes it is. You or Wednesday. son of a bitch. Or Wednesday. We can get Mason and Molly in. Yeah, this. there you go. Hey, Molly uh, would if... make Mason. <laughs> you guys Wait, can what? find out more about this contest over at the Majorspoilers.com website. And remember, folks, if you want to get a me dedication at the top of the show, all you got to do is make a donation by clicking on... Strangely oh, enough, you know what? the donate button. We used to have you make a donation by clicking on the defenestrate button, but <laughs> the glass man got really irritated. <laughs> At Majorspoilers.com, you'll see the button. It says donate. Remember, every little bit helps keep the site running. We really, really enjoy doing what we do. We like bringing the Major Spoilers experience, as they say in French, to you. We like to keep that. doing it for freaking ever. So feel free to throw a little something in, and I will make up something funny about you. And I got to sh- give a shout out this week because I completely forgot about it until Matthew said, I want to give a big old shout out to Thomas Perkins. He says, hi, guys. I came across your show when you have the Super Future Friends crossover event. I was completely hooked to keep up the great work, you guys. Thomas Perkins. Use guys. Use guys. Hey, Thomas Perkins, we thank you for making a donation the major spoilers experience. We appreciate everything that you do, and this is your special shout-out. Shout-out! Speaking of the super future friends that he referenced, uh, Adriana and uh, Kristen. Kristen, 
great friends of the show. We enjoy having them on. We need to get them back on pretty soon. Yeah. But about a month ago, Adriana says, hey, what's your guys' address? And I was like, I don't really need a bomb in the mail, but go ahead. You crazy girl. So she did some moving around, but she finally got something in the mail to us. Is it Rodrigo, a here's your here's your copy. Wow, awesome. Here's my copy. It? Matthew, here's your copy. Bwahaha. This is a really cool self-published book by Adriana Ferguson called We Are Legion. And in it, there are oh, sketches, 30 different Legion of Superhero characters depicted in here. Sketches of your favorites, maybe not so favorites. No block, thankfully. Um, it it is fantastic little art. If you've been over to her very very uh, site, very 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 hyphen very dot info, you can see some of her sketches. Wow, the, this is a wonderful little book. If you're into sketchbooks, and I'm a big fan of sketchbooks because you know mm-hmm. I can't always afford original art because I've got to sometimes pay our writers. Sometimes. <laughs> Wait, seriously? <laughs> I love it when Steven says funny things. <laughs> <laughs> 66 pages. 66 the way, the pages Luthor of sketches. <laughs> they want their money back? Uh, 66 page collection of sketches, full color art pieces with commentary depicting the artist's take on the Legion of Superheroes universe with a few other DC Universe characters thrown in as well. You'll notice that there is a Gates in there. Gates is awesome. Artwork is done in a variety of mediums, ranging from pencil sketches, marker, and digital painting, with 80% of the artwork being exclusive to this collection. I like this. I I really like this. Now, of course... I would like to ask Adriana if she would do a custom uh, thingamathingama. What's the word I'm looking for? Sketch? No. Drawing? When you go, illustration? No, when you go to somebody and you commission them to do something, what's I that called? I think it's called a commission. I think it's called a commission. Okay, I would like a picture of Telus, Block, Gates, and a Legionnaire to be named later. Quizlet. At a baseball game <laughs> in France. Quizlet. No, wait. Quizlet. I just like to see her take on Block. I love her art style. Yeah, it's really good. Check, check out this Gates picture. Uh, that's cool. Yeah, so she sent us these. This was really nice, Adriana. Thank you so much for sending this stuff, and we're happy to talk about it here on the show. If you guys are interested in checking this out, like I said, have, head over to very, V-E-R-Y hyphen very dot info, and you can find the link down at the bottom called Purchase Books, and you'll find her book. I say buy it. If you're a Legion fan, if you like sketches, you can tell she's a big fan of the television series The Legion of Superheroes because she was in love with uh, Brainy. Uh, Brainiac mm-hmm. 5. And so there's a lot of brainy action going on uh, in this book. Brainy action. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Is that quiz? See, that's no. two funny things in one show. I know. There you go. I'm out. Next month, we'll have another funny thing from me. Uh... So thanks uh, for sending in that present. Thank you, Tom, for sending in a donation. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. That's it for this week. We'll be back next time. <laughs> no. Hey, <laughs> And remember, kids, tip your waitress. Try See, the, the more, deal. The more money you send in, the less show we do. <laughs> Wait, what? Let's get to reviews, Is shall that we? the way this works? Reviews. My God, look at the time. Are we, um... <laughs> I went for sort of a Ronnie James Dio feel this uh, week. I thought, I thought you were doing like cashmere. Like a review in the dark.
I thought you were doing cashmere. All right, it Rodrigo. did sound a little like cashmere, didn't it? Yep. See, I do these things and I make noises, and Rodrigo <laughs> turns it into music, ladies and gentlemen. That's why we are the perfect team. Rodrigo's super ego, Stephen's id, and my ego <laughs> coming Ro- together for a better America. I, I want to believe, Rodrigo. I'm clapping my hands. I want to believe. I want Tinkerbell to live. That's right. Please tell us about the Muppets comic book take on Peter Pan. That's right. Boom <laughs> Studios, Muppet Peter Pan, number one. New, new this week, right? New this week, I All think, right. yep. Boom. Boom Studios. I gotta thank Boom Studios for sending us these advances yeah. every week. It's so great yeah. to have Chip Mosier and Mark Wade and um, and all those other guys that run that place. Just and great. I mean, it, the sad part is, it, I'll read those and I'll be like, oh my god, now I have to buy another book. Yeah. I buy every, almost everything that I read from them, I end up buying. Yeah. So, but we're here to talk Muppets. That's right. Muppets. Bum, 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 as bum, as bum, you bum, well bum. know, the Muppets are very near and dear to my heart. Um, this, because you kind of look like Animal. I Do I? Because that's what I'm going for. <laughs> woman! Woman! Actually, no, Speaking he looks like that, Zoot. Come on. Zoot. <laughs> all right. It's all right. I, I look like... Uh, the cuddles, the great big one. How are you? <laughs> Sweetums. <laughs> Sweetums, yeah. Sweetums, thank you. All right, let's get into this review, finally. Yes, let's do that. Uh, Muppet. Steven looks like Sam the Eagle. This time in America, I want to talk to you about speaking out against your president. It is not nice to say you lie <laughs> in the middle of a presidential debate. Thank you. That That's pretty good. Um... And this comic starts out with this kind of omniscient narrator talking about the darling children in in, uh, in England. It's Sam the Eagle, isn't it? No, at which point he's interrupted by oh, Sam okay. the Eagle, who says, You are an American publishing company. You should not be talking about England. And he's like, well, that's where the story takes place. He's like, no, let's go to Boston. It looks kind of like England on account of... <laughs> like, the, the whole intro to it, it's like... You should do it in Boston. It looks kind of like England. And some of the English citizens decided that they would rather be Americans. And so they became <laughs> Americans. And the narrator's like, I don't think that's how it works. It's like, I do not feel like riff, you know, giving you a history lesson right now. Let's just move on. <laughs> I love it already. I got to buy two. Yes. So um, Sam and the narrator, like, there's basically two narrators. The mm-hmm. narrator and Sam the Eagle, who basically just have this back and forward that very often just... Uh, interrupts like or just completely ignores the story which is right funny right um the cast of characters are kermit as peter pan and he's just referred to as peter pan that's his okay. name um miss piggy as tinkerbell Ugh. aka or and they call her piggy tink which is <laughs> weird um the children are scooter janice from okay. the electric yeah. mayhem and oh a bunny like oh, just a random little, bunny, no, I think and I think it's like the yeah, like the later years. Yeah, it's like yeah, but I don't I don't remember the bunny's name. So Janice is Wendy. Yes, she is. That's funny, and it's it's great because as it turns out, Sam is their dad, ah, he, and okay. he walks in, and the narrator's like, "These are your children." He's like, "Of course they are. This is my own little melting pot. They're all adopted, just like America." <laughs> yes, why? Of course, these are my children. Exactly. I'm an American. It's my own little and, melting and, pot and because of course, this is America. And of course, you know, Nana or whatever is is a chicken. They have a, a right, trained right, chicken right, right. taking <laughs> care of them. 
Um, it, it's just great, and and the the story ends with, uh, or this particular issue ends with uh, Peter Pan coming in and whisking the the children away to Neverland. And of course, there's there's lots of just awesome little asides and stuff. You know, he grabs uh, Piggy and sprinkles Piggy dust on them, <laughs> um, and Scooter's like, "This isn't this isn't gonna mess with my allergies, is it?" <laughs> I'm not sure that's kosher. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's just pretty great. It's it's the Muppets. It's you know, and, and basically, it's it's more Muppet hijinks for those of us who are sad about what the Muppets, the actual Muppets, are doing nowadays, right, which right. is to be second fiddle to Disney Channel stars. Yeah. Um, this this feels like the Muppets. Now, did you read? Just out of curiosity, did you read the Muppets Robin Hood? I haven't. I haven't. Red Muppet Robin Hood. I want to, but... I paid for it, but I haven't read it yet. The last time you talked Muppets, this is a long time ago, I forget which issue it was. Mm-hmm. But it, was you, it was the Muppet Show well, number one that I yes. reviewed a while back. And you had an issue with the art. Mm-hmm. How was the art here? I'm getting used to it. Okay. Um, This was a little bit more Muppet-like. The, the, the thing about the art in the other one is that, you know, it was good, but it's it's weird... To see char- these characters have actual facial expressions sometimes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they're so, you know, because they're puppets. Right. But here they can give them as much expression as they want. And sometimes it is weird because, I mean, you always see the entirety of their bodies. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, like, a lot of the time, like, Miss Piggy is like, legs. kind of, Miss Piggy, like, spends a lot of time, like, posing in like these kind of like center, like cute little centerfold poses, and it's weird. It's it's just weird to have her in the frame doing that right, right. at random times. Oh, that makes sense. But uh, all in all, I'm the art is different. It's by a different person, and they are a lot more. They're a lot closer to the actual Muppet designs, like the actual mm-hmm. puppets, than the guy who's drawing the Muppet Show. Is okay. Peppy the prawn in it? He is not. Thank goodness. I like Peppy this the is, prawn. This is kind of this is kind of old school stuff. There's no Peppy. There's no Clifford. Um, Robin isn't in it, which I, I really not yet. Ex- not yet. Not that's true. Actually, yeah. And they do. They make this this uh, thing that I, I assume is foreshadowing. Where they're like, yeah, when you go to the Never Swamp, which is what they're calling Neverland, you never grow up. And it's like actually that's Neverland. People do grow up in the Never Swamp. So I'm guessing the Lost <laughs> Boys are basically going to be the Muppets. Like yeah. when you get to. When they get there, it's just going to be basically what happens in every movie, which is every Muppet ever living in the same house. Right. So Gonzo, I wonder, is Gonzo going to be the Gonzo's going to be Captain Hook. Okay, cool. Is, sure. is what they've been what they've been talking about. So you'll see Fozzie Bear will be one of the mm-hmm. Never Boys and all that stuff. That's right. Excellent. So how many slices of the meatloaf are you hacking off for this, uh, um, this great piece of Muppet humor from Boom Studios? Definitely, definitely three and a half, and it has the potential to uh, spiral out of control from there. As the as mu- in, as Muppets, as in positive uh, yeah. or yeah, okay. Boom Studios dot com. We thank them for that. Yes. Now I can't follow up that amazing review, Rodrigo. <laughs> but I would also like to thank Dynamite Entertainment because they've been sending us advanced reviews of stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Also new this week is Zorro number sixteen, written by Matt Wagner. With art by uh, Francesco Francavilla. 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 This is, you know, I I really wish that I had gotten on this series when it first started. We've we've reviewed the trade. Mm-hmm. I've been reviewing the single issues for a while. 
this one, issue 15 didn't really strike it for me because it was all about different people's perceptions of what Zorro was. Issue 16 is kind of that same thing, although we do get to see more real Zorro action here Mm -hmm. because Zorro obviously, um, what's her name, the girl that he's in love with, has figured out that he's Zorro. And he has Let's to just say, call her Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah, Catherine Zeta-Jones uh, says, oh, but uh, we should get married. And he's like, ah, no, no, my love. We cannot be together because if anyone finds out I'm Zorro, they will surely come after you. And she's like, well, how okay. can you be so convincing? And he turns into his uh, goofy doofus, flamey uh, uh, Don Diego oh, character. Go. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I forget you're such a fine actor. And he's yes, yes, love, my love. But then... You know, he's been terrorizing the whole coastline. Mm. Essentially, he's been terrifying uh, Pacific Coast Highway from Santa Barbara all the way down to um, Baja, Mexico. Or I think you have to say it is Santa Barbara. But this time we get to see what some from, of the other soldiers are doing. I, you know, I have to go back and look at a map because Santa Barbara is way north. Yeah. And yet they're making reference to San Juan Capistrano at one point, which is like way down by San Diego. Yeah. So I'm kind of confused at some of their landmarking issues in this series. But essentially, one of the governors or one of the head generals or whatever has made a deal with pirates that they can keep the um, English and all the other people away from the coast. They can The pirates can go in and pillage and uh, do whatever they want, but this guy is getting a cut of the take. So he's making himself wealthy by siding with uh, uh, pirates. And so while they're sitting down making their exchange, he asks the pirates, have you guys ever heard of uh, El Zorro? And the pirate guy just freaks out, and he recounts this time that he and his crew went aboard to, um, see, here it is. Um, two months ago, we put in several miles south of Santa Barbara. Well, several miles south of Santa Barbara uh, would not be this location. He says, I figured we'd hit the village that surrounds the mission at San Juan Capistrano. And that's just not the case. Well, Unless maybe by talking several, about several miles, miles or talking about several, hundreds of miles. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. But they go, they go to on ground and they're pillaging the. Um, I think miles the were measured differently in the 1850s. Maybe that's what it was. Um, whatever the queen decided. Also, they should be using centimeters. <laughs> Nine bazillion centimeters. But the uh, the pirate recounts that when they got out of hand and they started raping and murdering people, that's when El Zorro showed up, and the issue just then is this giant fight as Zorro takes on pirates and kills them without any regard. And um, then there's this scene where he has to fight a big Goliath kind of guy, this big hulking brute, and takes him down. Uh, Doesn't kill him, but injures him severely to the point where, because the pirates have mercy on their own, they have to kill Goliath later. Mm -hmm. But then the, um, the pirate ends his story by saying, you know, this is no tall tale that I'm spinning to you, Governor, and pulls aside his neck, and all the pirates were branded with the Z. You know, he's cut their necks mm-hmm. in the Z shape, and that's kind of where that issue ends, saying, you know, Zorro is everywhere. Zorro is everywhere. Be afraid. He's a demon to that fox. And it's a really good issue. The art is fantastic, especially when they get into the flashback, because it goes not really monochromatic, but we've got essentially black and brown and red mm-hmm. and tan. And that's your color scheme. And it works incredibly well in this flashback. And if you guys aren't reading Zorro, if you don't like Zorro, if if you've never read Zorro, go pick up that first trade. Go back and listen to the podcast a few issues ago where we talked about it. This is a great series to get on board. And I'm loving every minute of Zorro. Mm -hmm. I'm giving it four slices of meatloaf. 
Meatloaf. Yep. So that's Zorro number 16, Dynamite Entertainment. Thank you for sending that advanced review copy our way. Which brings us to Matthew. I would love to thank someone for sending us a review copy. But Marvel stopped doing that. Thank you, Marvel. (laughs) Moving on. Probably because they're getting sued by Jack Kirby's family. Yeah, that's probably what it is. They had to spend all their money on that. Yep. Preemptive. Either that or Joe Quesada needed a new cheese sandwich. Mmm. Cheese sandwich. Platinum. Yummy. So, anyway, the other day I was at the store and stuff, and I was reading comic books, and there was like one there, and I said, hey, I should read it and stuff. I don't know how many people have been reading Kick Ass from the Marvel Icon creator owned imprint. But I have to tell you hey, that kick-ass, based kick-ass. on the first six issue, I would immediately say, buy it. You got to buy it. You got to read it. It's awesome. I have in my right hand issue number seven of Kick Ass from Marvel Icon. What's in your left hand? You shut your lying mouth. <laughs> Only I interrupt the others during the reviews. <laughs> Your job is to sit here and slap us down when we try to control things. Take calls. More reviews. No, you. Shut up. Okay. (laughs) At the end of issue six, Kick-Ass, the main character, uh, Dave, a kid in a wetsuit, was betrayed by his new super pal, the Red Mist. And the first line of this book completely captures the wonderfulness of Kick-Ass. And I apologize in advance for our adult tag seven minutes ago. My first impression was exactly right, says Dave. The Red Mist was a cocksucker. Again, I apologize for the adult language. It turns out that the Red Mist has been setting kick-ass up. The Red Mist is actually the son of Carmine Falcone, or whomever the giant, (laughs) giant... uh, I, I, I honestly don't know the mobster's name. But in any case, the mobster has set this up to try and capture kick-ass, Big Daddy, and Hit Girl who are three vigilantes who've been running, you know, wild across the world. And in a very shocking sequence of events, they shoot Hit Girl. Now, Hit Girl is a 10-year-old girl. Uh Uh-oh. They shoot her repeatedly, and she flies out a window from the impact of the bullets. And listeners, if you haven't figured it out by now in all of Matthew's reviews, that's a big no-no for Matthew. You do not endanger the children, for I will F you up now. But in any case, you know, after that shocking moment, of course, the Red Mist turns out to be a betrayer. We see a child killed on panel. We get a sequence where the mobsters decide they're going to torture Kick-Ass for information by attaching jumper cables to his testicles. Now, is this written by Garth Ennis? This is actually written by Mark Miller. Man, it sounds like a Garth Ennis book. Mark Miller and Garth Ennis and Grant Morrison are actually the same man. He just changes his name for tax purposes. Oh, that guy's good. <laughs> yeah, he is. I also like him when he's Warren Ellis. <laughs> but in any case, yes, uh, Kick-Ass is tortured. And, of course, he gives up everything he knows. He doesn't know anything they want, but he tells them everything he knows because he's a 16-year-old kid and he's being tortured. And so I, I really enjoy that sequence. And, of course... For the last few issues, there's been a great big secret about Big Daddy and Hit Girl. Right. Big Daddy is kind of this Punisher type. And he's been, you know, punishering his way across the world and teaching his daughter to be a little 10-year-old Punisher girl with swords and chopping people up. And he's been financing it with something in a steel case. 
Mm. Is it drugs, do you say? No, Perhaps it's whatever that glowy thing was in Pulp Fiction. Not even that. It's his mint condition collection of back issues. <laughs> nice. Amazing Fantasy 15, <laughs> Fantastic Four number one, Captain America number 100. He's been funding their operations by selling his back issues on eBay. That is funny. Brilliant. That it is turns great. out that Big Daddy is not the Punisher. He's an accountant. He's an accountant from the middle of nowhere who wanted to give his daughter some excitement and make her something unusual. And what he gets for it is a bullet in the head. On oh, panel. So he dies yeah. too? Wow. They sh well, they blow his brains out. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty horrific. And then they start torturing Kick-Ass again. And of course, Dave, being kind of a Looney Tune, starts thinking that he's going to fit, he's going to psych them out. So the more they hurt him, the more he screams that they need to try harder. And he intimates that they're idiots and that they're homosexuals and that they can't hurt him. And so essentially so, he's trying to do the James Bond scene at the end of uh, Casino Royale. Essentially, yeah. And they beat him and they beat him and they beat him until the chair he's tied to splinters. At which point he gets up, takes a hunk of chair and threatens to beat them with it. Now, in the history of this book, he has had probably two or three really superhero-y moments. And for all the bad language and for all the brutality, this is a superhero moment. He gets up, takes a moment to pull up his pants, of course, because, again, they were torturing him. And it has holes. <laughs> and he pulls it. He, he, these guys pull guns, and he takes his chair leg, and he threatens to kill them. At which point, Hit Girl leaps down from the ceiling and chops them to bits. Wow. I thought she was dead. Yeah, so did everyone else. Die. And they're all like, we saw you die. She's like, I got Kevlar down to my underoos. Ah. And then she throws a, you know, a naughty word. And the issue ends with two kids covered in blood going up in the elevator to find Carmine Falcone and kill him. Wow. And it's a really, really the the last panel, of course, uh, the art is John Romita Jr., who mm -hmm. I, I believe is absolutely brilliant. They look like kids. She looks like she's 11. He looks like he's a scrawny 15 or 16. They're both covered in blood and they are both ready to kill someone. It's kind of a horrifying and awesome scene all at once. Now, I will say this. Kick-Ass is not a book for the squeamish. No, it is it's not. not a, it's not a book for anyone under 18. It's not a book for anyone who's sensitive to violence, sensitive to language, sensitive to inappropriateness, uh, as in, you know, a 10-year-old girl getting shot in the back. Well, have There's... you read Have you read any of this, uh, Rodrigo? Have you read any Kick-Ass? I have not. I got to agree with you, Matthew. I read, I think, up to the first three or four issues. And not because I don't want to continue. I just keep forgetting to order it because I don't go into the Marvel solicitations and previews that often. But, right. man, it's a good book, but full really of hyperviolence. Mm -hmm. Hyperviolence. And it, it's trying to straddle that weird line where you try to be realistic. And so in be real, being realistic, you end up going so far over the top that it's actually less realistic than just writing a comic book story where Peter Parker is unhurt. Right. Yeah. The violence here, the blood, the the torture, the moments, you know, they go so far in trying to make it what realism would be to the point where when you see her shot, it's shocking. And then I kind of say, well, we didn't see a body. 
And then, of course, they shoot her father, and we see, well, more than just a body. We see a lot of the inside of his body. It's a very graphic scene. And then it turns out she's not dead after all. So they set up that expectation for me. Oh, it's a comic book. She'll come back. Holy crap, she's not coming back. So it was a surprise when she actually did. Cool. That was pretty awesome. Overall, I like Kick-Ass. I like the, the tone. I like the story. But I also like that over-the-top kind of, woo! You know, we're going to write something like we're three drunken frat boys in Cabo. And that's so where I'm, we're going to be spending our next summer vacation together. Yeah, You betcha, Red Rider. And once you start paying me whatever it is you pay me, and I'm, you know, preparing <laughs> to sue you for control of my, my creations, <laughs> you, you just remember that. I'm going to go with three slices of meatloaf, because it's a, it's a very good issue. There's some problems that I have with the narrative, like the immediate appearance of the red mist and going, hey, let's be best pals. And the character said it himself. He's a dickhead. Yeah. You know, I would have suspected something was up when this kid shows up with essentially unlimited funds and, you know, tries to immediately get close to you as a hero. Now, obviously, there's a little bit of, you know, he's not used to the adulation and the starstruck portion of, you know, being a public figure, which I think is going to be the character's downfall. But there is that huge heroic moment where he decides that he's tired of, you know, being beaten up. He's tired of being a wuss. And he just taunts them until they beat him so hard that he's free. Yeah. That's an interesting moment for me. That's a really nice one. It's not the best issue of Kick-Ass, but it's one of the better issues I picked up that week. It's a good book, again, if you're a grown-up and you don't mind, you know, psychotic hyperviolence and terrible language. All right. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. I'm going to try to pick it up. And you know what that means. Can you, can you, can you believe they're going to make a movie out of that? Yes, actually, I can. Because you read it on Majorspoilers.com? Well, besides that, it reads like a movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It so definitely after, after the reviews, Matthew, what happens? After the reviews, it's time for the millions in attendance and the 34 people waiting at home it's time you know what it's time for what's that ask me what it's time for what time is it for it's time for the return of gozer the destroyer i'm telling you it's gozer the destroyer once he came in the form of a giant torg and he stepped across the worlds and then then and then there was a time that he came in the i don't know been a while I, since I, you uh Watch the Ghostbusters. Really, actually has. Yeah, I, I, I remember bits and pieces of it. I've got it sitting I here. I've got it sitting here in Blu-ray DVD. And at night, late at night, like two a.m., when I'm trying to get work done, I've been popping in movies. And Ghostbusters, I think, is next on the list. Is it really? Yeah, I think so. Next in the I, pile, at least. It has some lines that I actually use on a day-to-day basis. I actually tell agents at work if they displease me that they'll probably find themselves. Quite happy in either the food service or housekeeping industry. <laughs> Twenty-five you years ago, can one you believe of the that? Pre-chosen forms. Twenty-five years ago, the silver screen exploded with the fluffy remains of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. We fell in love. At least Matthew and I fell in love with it because we got to see it in the theaters when it first came out. Rodrigo, Rodrigo saw it fifteen years later. <laughs> saw it in nineteen ninety-six, I think. Probably. When Actually, did you see? We saw it last week. 
Yep, I first saw it last week. <laughs> saw well, it last week on cable. It was right before Bikini Ninjas number one. <laughs> Matthew and I really dig on the Ghostbusters, and this past week saw the release of, uh, who is it, IDW's latest Ghostbuster yes. series. And just started giving me the love for Ghostbusters action all over again. Let's show this prehistoric bitch how we do things downtown. And that brought up the question of, who is your favorite Ghostbuster character? We've got four. We've got uh, Dr. Dr. Peter Venkman, Dr. Egon Spengler, Dr. Raymond Stance, and Winston Zedmore. Who is your favorite, Rodrigo? Winston. Why? Because he is kind of the control. Like, he is... Like he's the he's only the sane person yeah. in in the Ghostbusters. I mean, yeah. Bengman to a large extent is kind of the sanest <coughs> of those other three yeah. in that he's so self-centered that mm-hmm. he's centered. I think R- Rico up on the Major Spoilers website agrees with you. He says Winston is his favorite because of his job interview where Janine says, do you believe in UFOs, astral projection, mental telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, uh, spirit photography, telekinetic movement, full trans medians? The Loch Ness Monster and the Theory of Atlantis. And Winston goes, uh, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like, for him, it's a job. Whereas, um, you know, uh, Egon and Ray are in it for, like, the scientific aspect of right. it, which is cool. I mean, right, the, right, right, they're, right. they're cool characters. Right. Um, and Bengman is in it. Just for, for the women. Yeah, the and, and the fame and everything mm-hmm. else that comes along with it. But he's just like, I can do this. Just give me a proton pack, and I can, yeah. I'll can. i go out and hunt some ghosts for you. Yep. I put down for my favorite uh, Raymond Stance because he is, that, he is not the full nut job that Spingler is. <laughs> it was, Spingler is more of a... You know, a, a theoretical type person. Well, here's all the theory. Here's all the theory. And Raymond understands all that stuff, but he's also able to build the stuff. You know, he's got the mechanical engineering side, so he can take a 1956 ambulance and turn it into a ghost containment unit. Uh, and plus, he gets laid by a ghost. So <laughs> that's who that's I think. True. <laughs> yeah. This is a tough one for me. Oh, come on. You know it's Venkman. No, it really is a tough one for me because Ray's – somebody – let me let me check this out because somebody said on our website uh, just the unbridled joy when Ray is sliding down the t- – it's actually Bruce. Oh, yeah, yeah, when he's sliding the down the unfettered enthusiast. What is he? he said, I love it. Let's buy it. How much? Yeah. <laughs> that moment where the, the, it's obviously a fire trap. It's obviously going to cost way more than they have. But he loves it because it has a fire pole. But it's his money, Plus, too. And Ray was also voiced by Frank Welker in the cartoon, which ah, is very okay. important. Okay. But, you know, then there's also the Egon. You have to look. Everybody has their inner Egon. I collect spores, molds, and fungus. That's fascinating. I love that moment. You know, there's also a moment where I think it's in the second one where they're talking about the, the, the etherokinetic slime. Mm-hmm. Did you sleep with the slime? <laughs> and Egon won't say anything. <laughs> but then you also have that wonderful moment. Okay, so Winston is in front of the court. Your Honor, I've only been with the company for a couple of weeks, but I've seen shit that'll turn you white. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, but I had, I mean, I had to boil it down. And for me, it really did come down to Venkman. Because Venkman 
Venkman actually understands what Egon is saying. Venkman gets the science that Ray has, and Venkman has, you know, the slightest idea what he's talking about when Ray goes, or when Egon goes off on, you know, ancient Sumerian deities. He's got bits of it. He knows. He's, he's well, a doctor he's a scientist. of parapsychology. He's a, yeah, exactly. But he's also the guy who can put it together and make the advertising. Without any one of them, it would fall apart. But without Venkman, it wouldn't be a business. And to me, that's why, partly why I chose Venkman. Also, I'm interested in him because he sleeps above the covers. Four, <laughs> Four feet, feet above, the covers. above the covers. And Venkman has all the best <laughs> lines, you know? Well, he does. He's Bill Murray. Come on. Oh, that's true. So, for me, it's got to be Pete. 452 votes cast. Everybody is agreeing with Matthew. 43% of the votes. 43% of 453 votes. That's like... Half. A 20. 22% for Egon Spingler, 19% for Raymond Stance, and what is that? 16% for Winston. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty even split when you look at it. Roughly, oh, not quite half of the people love Pete, and then the others are split almost a third yeah. yep. of the remaining portion. Because it is, it's it's a team effort, you know? I think that, that the, the core Ghostbusters really represent that, what you and Rodrigo and I represent, that ethereal triad that icon, that archetypical, you know, yeah. where I think... Yeah, because I used to be skinny like, uh, like, Dan <laughs> like, Aykroyd. like Dan Aykroyd used to be, and now I'm a big old bloated mess, just like Dan Aykroyd <laughs> is now. So Yep, and oh, I'm, I'm a balding man with bad skin who says snotty mean things when no one is listening, <laughs> just like Bill Murray. <laughs> and, and Rodrigo And I is... collect mold spores and fungus. So there, there you, you go. go. <laughs> See, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Now all we got to do is... I don't know. It's fine as a black guy. <laughs> All right, everybody, you can cast your vote on who you think is your favorite. Well, who you know is your favorite Ghostbuster. All you have to do who is go over to MajorSpoilers.com. You're wrong. Com. That's Whoever a big thing is wrong. <laughs> oh, cast <laughs> your vote today. That is not what you want. All right. Let's talk about a preacher. Steven, Steven, pretend for a moment that I don't know anything about metallurgy or engineering or physics and just tell me what the hell is going on. Preachers going on. Rockola. <laughs> All right. Preacher. Volume two. We re reviewed the first uh, trade. Everybody seemed and to I like it quite a bit. I think only twice did I say preacher. I hardly know her. This time we're taking a look at volume two until the end of the world. Check this out. Merged at the, at the soul with the demon angel hybrid known as Genesis. The Reverend Jesse C uh, Custer is now the one preacher on earth who can truly speak the word of God. Anyone who hears his commands must instantly obey them, or almost anyone. Dun, dun, dun. When his, dun, most dun. when his most lethal enemies arrive to take him back to the family homestead, Jesse finds out that the world is not, or the word is not quite as foolproof as he thinks. And that bad news for Jesse as his gunslinging, and his gunslinging girlfriend, Tulip O'Hare, because now he must face the creature that made his childhood a living hell. A living hell. His grandma. Grammy. Grandma. 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 That's the first Joe. part of this trade. And the second part, as dreadful as uh, as Grandma can be, there's still more dangerous people in the world, and they've also heard about the power of the word. He doesn't know it yet, but Jesse has been drafted into history's greatest and most terrible conspiracy, and he's about just to find out how hard it's going to be to say no. Second volume of Preacher, written by Garth Ennis, art by Steve Dillon. Who's awesome. 
introduction by Kevin Smith, which went on for pages. <laughs> what, what, Kevin Smith being wordy. <laughs> no. What are the odds? Actually, no, what I like pages. about this, what I really like about this. Yeah. The central conceit of the book, the mm -hmm. part that really carries us to the end, doesn't kick in until about halfway through this second trade. The major overarching villain of the piece, not, not counting the Lord Almighty, doesn't even show up until halfway through this trade. Mm. So, I mean, we start up, we have the character, we're working through it, and then all of a sudden we get this bit, and we have to deal with the old business before we can move on to the big leagues. I, I mean, that's very realistic to me, that y you have to deal with your baggage before you can get over yourself, which and grandma, I think it's... Oh. Grandma is quite the ba the baggage. She's an old bag. Well, I, I want you. I, I want you to see if you can quote the first words out of Jesse's mouth in this volume, referring to his grandmother. I I cannot. We, okay. What is it? Let's put it this way. You know how we got that adult tag? <laughs> uh, this would be like taking the adult tag, ripping it off the mattress, and then doing five to ten years because <laughs> it's illegal to rip a tag off a mattress. <gasps> Grandma is not a pretty sight. No. What's grandma, the... not good. Rodrigo, what's the deal with Jesse and his grandma? What what horrible things happened to him in his childhood? All right, so his grandma is a horrible person. So his yes. mama ran away and met his daddy. And she argued in OFT. She did, in fact, do that. Um, so for his first, what, like six years, Jesse had a pretty normal childhood. Yeah. Um, his dad took him to see John Wayne movies. It was good times. Um, and then his grandma's goons catch up with them, take them down, bring him back to the homestead, and shoot his daddy. Yeah, in the head. In the head. Just, I mean, on panel. I mean, it's silhouetted, but yep. you still get to see but, the action yes. of, of brains and bullets and all that good more stuff. More importantly, in front of Jesse. Yeah. Yep. Um, then things calm down for a bit. And then his mom tries to run away, or we get the coffin yep. first. Oh, well, no, it's they. He does something bad, mm -hmm. you know, bad in his grandma's eyes. So they decide to basically put him in this coffin at the bottom of a, we'll say bayou, because it sounds better. Yep. Yes, because it does take place in the south. Um, and his mom flips out. She's like, "No, you did this to me. You are not putting him in the coffin." And they kill his mom at that point. Yep. Among other people. Yes. Um, his grandma kills his mom, his dad, and his best friend. The Cyclops. Right. All in the horrible inbred Cyclops. Who's actually a pretty likable character. All in the span of about six pages. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're not even done with, I think, the second issue when all that happens. Yeah. And then to put it all into perspective. They kill his dog. They kill, well, Tulip gets her brains blown out, too. Yep. That's yep. horrible. On panel. On panel. Like, yeah. I mean, and we're not just talking about, you know, a bullet through the brain. We're talking about the back half of her head the size is of a grapefruit. Yes. It's disgusting. Yes. And at that point, you know, you, you can you can see it. And the, the art is so brilliant in the sequence. He's broken. Yeah, he is. He's, he's done. How come the word of God doesn't work on grandma? Ah, grandma has a deal. And what's her deal? Uh, Grandma has teamed up with somebody who has a certain interest in keeping Jesse under control. Mm. Now, I don't make a point of saying this person's name, 
but some people would spell it Y H W H, and uh, he 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 kind of like uh, he look like a man, <laughs> only only he not a man. Essentially, Grandma has literally the word of God on her side, and the actual presence of the Almighty, who thankfully resurrects Tulip just to prove that. He's nice. And 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 tells her, you know, th this will prove that I am your loving something. And there's this brilliant moment where he's standing before her glowing and she's like, Can you can you turn that shit off, please? <laughs> well, it's like if if Jesse knew yeah. what I had done, if if he knew what I had just done for you, what do you think he'd say? And she's like, I think yeah. he'd say cut the crap. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we get to see the the flashbacks leading up to the moment in Angelville where Jesse actually gets possessed, and we get to see, we really get to see some horrible moments where his cousin, uncle, cousin—I'm not sure. It's his uncle. It's his cousin. It's his uncle. It's his cousin. It's his uncle and his cousin. Bah! Well, there's a, there's a there's a very specific moment where forget it. Jody Jesse tells him to angel, say God. uncle. And and literally shatters his arm because the kid won't say uncle. Yeah. So I want to say that Jody may be his uncle. But there's a moment where, you know, Tulip basically tells the Almighty she's not interested. And then all of a sudden, Jesse finds his word works again. Cool. Yeah, that's the point where the, the violence starts. That's the part where oh, I, yeah. I kind of start. I don't know. There's you start something to lose it. You lose it because of the violence, because it's just a, oh, I start it's just to a like it. Big <laughs> kick down, drag out, blow off the nose, cut off the eye, smash you in the face with a two by four, and the with nail, a nail sticks in you, it sticks you in the <laughs> head. And it stays it. there. You know, it's light people on fire. It's it's he, be he beats TC's head into in, into the ground. Right. I I like the moment where he just comes out and he tells Jody to burn. Yeah, that's his grandma. And, right? yeah. and he catches fire. No, Jody's his uncle. Oh, that's his uncle, right? Jody's his uncle. TC's the the inbred pervert, and right. Grandma is uh, Christina something. <laughs> Langel. But yeah, what I really like is when it comes down to it, and this is something that you know you see later on in the series when it comes down to having having to finally confront Jody and having to finally beat. Jody, having to do something to overcome Jody, he does not use the word. He doesn't use his quote unquote power. Mm -hmm. He steps up and he punches him in the face. And he punches him and he punches him and he punches him. And finally, it, it, I mean, it, it comes down to he has to beat this, this man, this person, this thing on his own terms. And, you know, using his, using the power wouldn't be. And this is kind of a, a, a BS cowboy sentiment, but it, it wouldn't be right. It's the law of the West. A man yeah. got to fight his fights, you know? Right. And finally, it just comes to the point where he literally chokes the life out of him. Yeah. And you see, you can, I mean, you can just see that, that whole lifetime of being tortured by this, this thing, this creature. And he just grabs him and chokes the life out of him the whole time, just screaming, die. Yep. And in so and, doing, finally gains acceptance from him. Yep. Yeah. That's kind Which of just kind of ironic, right? Jody's last words are "I'm proud of you, boy." Yeah, which I'm sure probably makes him even more even angry. worse. Yeah, exactly. And Grandma does, you know, meet a fitting end for a creepy, old, horrible creature. 
Yeah, she does. She get blowed up real good. She get blowed up real good. Her oxygen tank catch fire. She go out across the swamp, which I think is kind of scary or something. Now, the second volume starts off quite a bit different than, or the second half of the book starts off quite a bit different than the first part of the book. The first part of the book is all about blood and violence and being captured. The second part starts out with naked people in bed together and romping and rolling and having good times and aren't, aren't, isn't everything life all great and wonderful? Here's our vampire friend again. Hey, we haven't hey, seen you Cassidy's in back. Three issues. He's a character. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. But there's also, there's there's some some foreshadowing in this Cassidy piece that, you know, that is interesting to me. Okay. Because later on, there's more stuff with Cassidy, but this is where we first see what Cassidy does, and Cassidy just sort of runs through life. He's essentially immortal. Does whatever right. he wants, doesn't worry about consequences, doesn't think about, you know, what happens to the people in his wake. He stays out of the sunlight, gets drunk, has yep. his way with things. Yeah, pretty much. But he's also not someone who worries about what happens after he leaves. Ah. And then we meet two characters who I, I have to say I really like, even though I, you know... <laughs> We're supposed to, I think we're supposed to like them and not like them all at once. Bob and Freddy, the sexual investigators. Yes. Yeah. Tell me, Rodrigo, what is a sexual investigator all I have, about? I have no idea, actually. Because... <laughs> Neither do they. Do, they're, they're sexual investigators, but they don't investigate anything. Apparently, they're like heroin dealers uh-huh. and rapists on call. <laughs> like, that's that's what they do. <laughs> okay. Pretty much, yeah. It, it, Bob is funny though because Bob is this this stereotypical North London accent person who's who's talking about how hey, things are trouble at the mill, you know, like a bad Monty Python sketch. And right. he's also he's also a homosexual uh, prostitute errand boy, which I think is kind of cute. You know, he's like, "I'll take it up, shit out of a half tea." I'm like, "What is wrong <laughs> with the man who wrote this book?" And then I wonder what's wrong with me for really enjoying it, but. Well, is this second, you know, give us the give us the quick gist, quick rundown of what goes on in, in the second second arc. I mean, it looks well, like to be a lot of sex and a lot of sex and violence, and it doesn't look like much rock and roll, but, you know, I'm sure it's in there somewhere. There's some drugs in there because it's a big box of heroin. There's some rock the and roll in the beginning. The heroin is supposed to be delivered to, the par- to a party mm-hmm. for a man named Jesus de Sade. Yes. Who is a terrible, terrible, horrible person. And um, Hair Star enters into the equation. Herr Starr is a, a German gentleman who belongs to a mysterious organization called the Grail, mm-hmm. who is suddenly uh, tracking and trying to figure out all of the crazy things that are happening in Jesse's wake. But going through this whole thing, Cassidy and Jesse end up at a party. Sex party. At Jesus, a sex party, yes, at Jesus de Sade's. Um, it's, it's a little bit bizarre, actually. And somehow the drugs ended up being in Cassidy's girlfriend's apartment. I'm not sure. But <laughs> that's not the point of the thing. The story is is fascinating, even if you don't pay attention to that particular portion of the arc. They end up well, at the party. All right. I was going to say something about all the sex and stuff. Yeah. Garth Ennis is messed up, man. We see in here, I mean, this the Preacher, this volume came out, or this issue, series of issues, came out in 1995 Two? through 97. No, wait. Really? Yeah, 95, 96. Yeah, so even as far back in, when you get into the section called Judgment Night, I mean, if you're paying close attention, 
there's gerbling going on. There's uh, the girl who comes at Tulip with the great big cucumber and says, you know what I could do to you with this? You know, then you flip forward to hero gasm or even just the boys. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, he's still into all of this stuff. It's but, still there. It's still, it's, you know, it's, I don't almost, know like, it's almost like you can read it. that. Well, I'm not saying he's into it. I'm not saying he's doing this stuff, but it's almost like you can see where the boys was coming from 10 years before the boys arrived, at least in parts. That's what I noticed about some of these scenes and sequences. Mm -hmm. To some degree. Yeah. Uh, but, I, I think this is, this is one of those instances for me where it's obvious, like the writer is getting in my face and saying, this book is shocking. Shocking. Boogity, 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 boogity. <laughs> fucking armadillo. Let's blow some heads off. Yep, exactly. <laughs> you know, I see all this stuff and it's like, oh, okay, well, it's a sex party. I get it. Right. Like, uh, oh, these people are so debased and they're crazy. Yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah. And they, you know, it comes to the point where it gets so disgusting uh -huh. that Jesse basically punches Jesus in the face and moves on. Right. And then we get into lots of fighting. Lots of fighting. Because Hairstar and his Grail mercenaries have come busting in, apparently trying to find Jesse. Because he's got the word and they want the word. Little did they yep. know that Grease was the word. <laughs> or, or the bird. <laughs> the bird was the word. Yeah. I was Let me ask you this. everybody knew that the bird is the word. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> yes. With Tulip being resurrected, can she die now? <clears throat> Because there's a there's a couple panels now we don't see her getting shot, but there are right. several panels. This shot where um, this page where she's shooting the the guy in the nuts, and the other gun is going off to her side. It's all it would almost be pretty hard to miss with that big of a gun at that close of a range, not to hit her and at least cause some kind of damage. Is she now immortal? I don't believe. So. Okay, I don't right. think so. I okay, don't think that was I'm just. I was just curious. There. I was just Tulip, curious. Tulip is set up either earlier or later in the series as being quite an excellent shot. Okay, and I think part of it is you know just the fact that she's up against. She's in a situation where she's pushed to the wall and she's forced to do, mm -hmm. you know, basically almost superhuman things. Right, do or die. Yeah, exactly, and. I, I don't think because later on there there is a lot of there's a lot of subtext that comes out of protecting Tulip or not protecting Tulip or Tulip, you know, in a situation where she might be killed. Mm -hmm. I don't think the implication is supposed to be that she's immortal because a lot of that would negate some well, of the but, later drama. But maybe that's something. And again, not having read issues past this as, as someone who's coming to this fresh. You know, that may be something that's kind of hinted at here and there, but doesn't come forward until some major revelation down the road. Yeah. Um, so I just I just found that kind of interesting. Yeah. And the end of it all is is kind of fascinating to me, too, in that. Is this where they get kidnapped? The, and The Grail sees the Reverend Jesse Custer. So they think. Yeah. And not, not quite. It's well it's 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 really kind of funny because it's a Spartacus moment where Cassidy's like, Um, I'm Jesse Custer. Keep me out of the sunlight. Can, By God. <laughs> yeah. I sure don't. I got me one of them skin conditions. And you know, every time he talks, you can just hear him putting on this terrible fake Texas accent. <laughs> yep. Well, you know the and grill. you you can't imagine how they don't see how obviously <laughs> is it about goddamn time. <laughs> 
Well, you know, it's you know, so I, funny I, that they get to the point where, you know, they want to test his power of the word. So they bring yeah. this old cripple before him and he says, cast aside your crutches and walk. And the old man throws away his crutches. And just for that brief shining moment, you think right that it might face. walk. And then, bam, right down <laughs> on his face. And it's a terrible, terrible thing to laugh at. <laughs> yeah, no, it isn't. It's horrible. It, it really is horrible. <laughs> and then that's the moment where they're like, is your accent starting to slip? I'm like, come on, people. Yeah. Their solution, their solution is to blow him to bits. Yeah. And that doesn't quite work. And after a couple hours of that, they realize he's not dying. Now, does he regenerate? Yes, he regenerates okay. slowly, and it, okay. I believe generally he regenerates better if he keeps taking on more blood. Oh, okay. But he does regenerate. And uh, Jesse and Tulip's solution is to get naked for several pages. Right. And if you wanted to see Tulip naked, you're going to see her naked here. You're going to see her pretty much completely naked. There's also an, a nice little bit here that that I love when uh, one of uh, Hairstar's people, Feather, uh, Hoover, Gets in Jesse's way, and he's like, "See that beach over there? I want you to count them grains of sand." Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the book, this book, ends with Hoover on the beach in tears, unable to resist the compulsion to count the grains of sand. Yep. And then even just, then, he loses count and has to start all over again. Yeah, it's a terrible moment, and you you feel so bad for Hoover, and at the same time, you don't. Yeah. It's kind of the thing with Star. I mean, it, you can see. Even here, you can see bits of what Hairstar wants to do as, at least from his perspective, quasi-heroic. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is it's a it's a weird story, and there's a lot of terribleness going on. But really, the only character who's presented as terrible and irredeemable is Jesus Desaad. Mm-hmm. Even even Bob, you know, Bob the the prostitute, Bob the person who sodomizes Hairstar for money. Right. You know, Bob is portrayed as very friendly and very affable. You know, Bob is the kind of guy that you might want to hang around with. Providing you don't. Until until dark, at which point you're going to run (laughs) as fast as you can. Yeah. You know, there's nothing here that you look at and go, well, here's your obvious terrible villain. You know, there's there's a person who's really kind of selfish and perverted, and there's a, a person who has this plan to do something that may or may not be vaguely spiritual spiritualigious. I, I but, just think know, that, you know, once again, this book shows that the world is full of really bad people overall. I mean, there's not really, say for Jesse and maybe Tulip, although one could argue some of that stuff. Well, even, you know, none of them are really good people. No, no, none of them are. Makes me feel a little bit safer. Being surrounded yeah, by good people like yourself. Rodrigo, put down the knife. Hi, it's uh, Sally Ellie. I just noticed what um, your topic is for this week's podcast. And I think this is the volume where Preacher really, really picks up. This is Garth Ennis at his, you know, his most horrible death, just being really brutal and nasty. Um, I enjoyed it, especially because you have the added um, layer of depth for the um, for um, Jesse Cusper's background, and that you find out exactly how screwed up he is by these horrible, horrible people who brought him up. And here's the great thing: um, that bit where John Wayne, um, his his ghost, 
just calls Jesse a faggot. That is just fantastic. What'd you guys think of the art? I, I thought the art rocked once again. Yeah. Love Steve. The cover Glenn. art is, always disturbs me because it's that hyper realistic. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's Glenn Fabry. Glenn Fabry does some really grotesque stuff. But yeah, the grandma if you cover look, is just. The grandma know. covers, but if you look at the cover of, I think it's issue 20 something or 70 something, the tulip cover. Right. She looks good. Yeah. She looks, you know, she looks really good. She looks very anatomically correct and, you know, kind of hot. <laughs> but I li- I like the fact that Dylan can go from drawing a character like Billy Bob Bob, yeah, you know, with with the one eye and and making him not off putting, making his you know his expressions and everything that he's doing, making him a sympathetic character partly through the art. You know, the grotesquerie of Grandma and the weirdness of of uh, TC with his big Larry Fine head. Mm-hmm. All of that is played, but nothing is really overplayed. Even the grotesque characters aren't inhuman. Right. So you can look at this and kind of go, well, maybe you can you can see where that might, you know, you, you could actually see these people. I know a guy who looks like I Jesse I don't want to look like any. I don't want to see any of these people. Man, I'd have nightmares for a week if I saw any of these people. Mm. Cyclops, Cyclops boy, Arseface, Vampire Bob. Cassidy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> So, final thoughts, Rodrigo. Um, you, you like the first six issues that we read, right? I did. I like the first the first volume. Um, for me, the it's it's kind of starting to slip, and I I think it's because I'm starting to you know when when I first started reading it, um, it was it was kind of fresh, and I was like, okay, well, this these are concepts that I haven't seen before, or or that it's clear that if I've seen them before, it's mm-hmm. because this guy did him first. Because, you know, Preacher was the shockingest thing that ever did shock back in the day. But now um, I'm seeing a lot of, you know, that kind of like boogity, boogity, boogity. This right. is supposed to shock you. Right. Um, okay. A lot of that, a lot of the this self-righteous attitude that I kind of don't like in people, mm-hmm. I'm starting to get a lot from Jesse. Mm. And it makes yeah. him, you know, not the fact that yeah, he's, he's killed preacher. people, not the fact that he's... Um, really not all that good a person, not the fact that he hangs out with a serial murdering vampire. Yeah. Um, it's that self-righteousness, that whole, like, I'm going to find God and I'm going to beat him up. Yeah. Kind of thing. It's like, I'll punch him in the face. That's right. Um, (laughs) it's, it's kind of starting to grate on me. It's making him, because he needs to maintain at least this base level of sympathy Mm -hmm. for me to like the book because he's the main character of the book. And that is, uh, by the end of this book, that is going down, you know, uh, what's his name? The the guy from the Grail, the 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 lackey, um, oh, Hoover. 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 Yeah. He is not a bad guy. Mm-hmm. There is kind of no reason for Jesse to do that to him, except he could just be a dick because he can, because he's got the word. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't mess with Jesse Custer. He's gonna make he's gonna make you do bad things. Right. You know, Dang he's gonna die. Him, but... He's gonna die on that beach mm-hmm. because eventually he's gonna starve and he's not gonna be able to stop counting grains of sand. Right. Um, you know, and he's kind of done that before to people. He's he's killed people in horrible ways, that, and he didn't need to. Maybe he could just have killed people. But maybe that's where the story's going. And again, Matthew, you having read all these when they first came out on the newsstand back in 1995 or whatever, back have, in the day. Okay. have the advantage of knowing what happens at the end. Rodrigo and I have the advantage of knowing that there's a finite ending 
to this series. Mm -hmm. Maybe, and just speculation, maybe he continues down the wrong path to the point where he is this hateful bastard of a person that we don't like as a character, but redeems himself. Maybe not. I mean, I don't know. And, and, you know, uh, we've still got, what, seven more volumes to read. Seven more, trade. (laughs) This volume is very, and unusually, you know, based on the other eight volumes, it's very mm, multifaceted. I wanted to say schizophrenic, but I know that's not the word that I mean. It has two different identities. The first portion, the family, the homecoming portion, really, you know, strikes me as kind of a justification, something that makes you really feel for Jesse. Right. And makes you understand why he's, you know, pretty messed up in a lot of different ways. And then the second half, like Rodrigo said, there is a lot of, oh, look at me. Oh, and you just want to punch the characters in the face mm-hmm. like Jesse eventually does. But this is probably the weakest of the volumes. Mm, okay. Partly well, because of that. Because of that second story. The first volume I think kind of sets everything up and really goes on the strength of the premise. And the second half of this volume, I honestly feel like this, this book originally came out from vertigo month to month. And I don't think it had a finite ending originally. I think that what we see in that first trade and the first half of this volume is really what the concept initially was going to be. Yeah. And then it went somewhere else. And the introduction of Hair Star in this volume really is a turning point for the book in that it does change what comes later. And I mean, I could I could spoiler a couple things for you. I can tell you that, yes, things do change. And there is eventually, I mean, there there is an acceptance of or really a, an admission that Jesse is just kind of occasionally a giant swinging dick about things. Mm-hmm. That does play into later stories. And... I, I, I think, again, there is a real, especially at the end of the whole giant orgy, there's a real sea change in the book. And that self-righteousness about everything that's going on there isn't so much a factor as we go on. But, you know, taking this book on its own merits, you can't tell that from what happens here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The, the place that this ends, it really ends badly. You know, the second half of this story should by all rights, have been a story unto itself. And then, what, you know, you're saying volume, in, volume three should have been included in this. Is that what you're saying? Or you're just I'm talking saying about the that if I were part. breaking this up and I were not trying to break this up into even trade paperbacks, right? I would have ended yeah. this story at the end of the Angelville saga, right? Where they're leaving Angelville. And that's, you know, that's a good trade size book. I mean, I've seen trades thinner than this. We three was three issues. Yeah. But this, this book was traded on the Sandman principle. Yeah. And if you, I don't know if you've seen all the Sandman trades and how they, the they will reissue the Sandman is, is the Sandman yeah. principle that a somewhat pale character with crazy black hair will sell books? <laughs> yes. Well, that's one. No, the Sandman principle is that if you break the story up into chunks, you know, even if the arcs don't necessarily always make sense, you can put this all together and have that complete story. Right. And then you read it from beginning to end and go, oh, well, this happened way back in book one. And now there's a callback to it. Right, here. right, right, right. And I understand we that. That's s- why I have all nine volumes. So, yeah. Preacher gets better from here. This this is a low point. There's another point later on where it kind of sags a bit. But this is the first point where I looked at it and went, 
Okay, after Angelville, not so much great, but it does set up Hair Star. It does put Cassidy in Star's hands. Right. Which sets up one of the greatest moments in comic book history. Don't spoil it. I'm not going to spoil okay. it. Okay. Because so, eventually we're going to get to book three and I'm going to get to go, hoo-hoo, yeah! <laughs> so a, a bottom line then is, you know, as I'm kind of reading through this, it's almost like, okay, I see everything as self-contained and not knowing what's coming forward. I, you know, part of me could say, hey, you know, you could kind of skip this and you probably wouldn't wouldn't be any worse for wear. But now with Hair Star and the important yeah. knowledge of what happened in Jesse's yeah. childhood, I mean, I think make this if you're going to read Preacher and you're going to continue to read Preacher, you're going to have to pick up it, volume two. Absolutely. I mean, the biggest thing that happens to me in this book is that uh, Tulip and Jesse make up. Yeah, they have been at each other's throats all of volume one. And then you find out why he left her, and you find out why she was doing what she was doing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they were like, oh, well, I've been mad at you for no reason this whole time. (laughs) And they get back together. And now, you know, now that actually there's that weird moment where the team starts to gel. Yeah. And we're going to see that again in further further volumes. There is another relationship that is first established here that doesn't really ring right now as important as it should. And never really gets fully explained, but is fascinating nonetheless. And that's Jesse's relationship with John Wayne. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, okay. that yeah. weird that moment does, where, yeah, where Jesse, mm-hmm. Jesse was yeah, stuck in the dad. coffin and, and his mm-hmm. grandma left him in this coffin for like three days with no food, no water. Basically, you know, forced to just lie under the bayou in the dark, in the cold. And the way he got through it was because... John Wayne sat on the lid of the coffin and talked to him the whole time. And he mm-hmm. said, we're going to be partners, Waha. Mm-hmm. And that is, in a way, they always used to say about Serenity that the ship is the 10th cast member. John Wayne is an important member of the Preacher cast. Mm-hmm. And John Wayne's moment in this book where he, you know, he talks to Jesse and says, I notice you didn't mention me. You know, that's that's very important. Yeah. And later on, there comes a moment where John Wayne is pivotal to this. But, you know, Jesse points it out. He's like, well, I I didn't really know how to explain it, seeing as how you died about four years after I started having hallucinations of you and everything. (laughs) But it, it doesn't really matter what John Wayne is. It matters that John Wayne is. So this book is really the point where our cast solidifies the addition of Hairstar and the you know the explanation and the the placement of Cassidy and Tulip and Jesse in, at a point where the bad things to come can then happen. Mm-hmm. This is an important one, you know, from more from a logistical standpoint, understanding how Jesse got where he is, who he is, and how he came to be. But also, it sets up what really becomes the central theme and the central conflict of the book. But it does it in a way where the second half of this story, you're just kind of like, maybe not so much. But you're saying pick it up. I'm saying absolutely pick it up. I recommend every volume of Preacher. In fact, I recommend getting them all and doing like I do with Sandman and just read them all. All Take a weekend, sit in your backyard, sit in your backyard with a box of cookies. And eat a whole damn box of cookies while you read Preacher. That is what I recommend. And thin on, mints. <laughs> thin mints, your preferred one? Yes. All right. I, I prefer the, the Laura Dunes or whatever they are. Lorna Dunes? Lorna Dunes, yes. What's, isn't she Polaris? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I pronounce it differently, though, but I'm Hispanic. All right, everybody. On that note, that'll wrap it up for this week. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the Major Spoilers experience, or experiment, depending on what you're doing. We're not going to get into a really heady topic this weekend on the... uh, on the next episode, our Saturday podcast. But we are going to talk about the just-released... I think we lost Matthew. We're going to talk about the just-released Superman, Batman, Public Enemies uh, DVD, which comes your way on September 29th. We got it early. We're going to tell you a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. But you're going to have to wait till the next issue to find out for that, because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you next time. Flag of the war. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page Would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the ons Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler, what a major spoiler. If I'm stark raving rich like a man of iron, I might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009